Hello, everybody, and welcome to Critnet, our shooting the crit episode where we get to know a little bit more about our players, the world, and uh, their thoughts on it. Here we have James, Cornish, and Elliot. We'll be going through a couple of questions, just see if, uh, their thoughts, general ideas, and maybe a little bit of uh, theorizing as to what uh, they may think is happening in the world of Adronis around them. And this is where we're totally going to disrail the DM on purpose every single opportunity we get. <laughs> Answering, uh, we'll try to go in the same order as we did the first time we attempted this before it exploded on us. Uh, James, uh, no, Chris, Elliot, James. I'm always last. Or you said my name twice. Does that mean I get to go first and last? Why? Why are you picking on me? <laughs> first on the why, second why, turn. Why, why are you picking on me? Why are you gonna make me go first with the hard DM questions? <laughs> hey, Elliot, you want to go first? You know what? Why not? Perfect. All right. Uh. Question number one for Elliot. Theories on what's happening in the world around you. Uh, based on what I know or versus what Humval knows? Because as far as Humval knows is that the world is still going to crap and nothing has really changed from that. For what I know is that uh, we're on the year of advent for the rifts to completely rise and destroy an entire city again. And I have currently signed on with the weakest possible guild. Everybody loves a challenge. No, there's being the underdog, and then there's being a sacrificial lamb. And I'm telling you which one I feel like right now. <laughs> I don't hear you bang, so... Well, then... I'm not Scottish. <laughs> Elliot, what, what, do you, what do you think the fractures are all about? Uh, me personally, I think that they are sinkholes of magic. Where whatever was supporting it beforehand was, it was, it was keeping it afloat in Adronis has been sucked down below the crust and is currently uh, well-springing itself into something explosive. Ooh. Why else would more and more powerful monsters be deeper and deeper inside the fractures? Hey guys, guys <laughs> Elliot, I think you just gave some really horrible ideas. Hey, here's the thing. I, at the moment, have tied my hands behind what I have on paper. What you guys say and what you guys theorize is going to be whether it's on that paper or not, I am just as much of a slave to it. See, I'm I I'm kind of a cheat because me and Sawyer actually got together and helped plan the bare bones of this campaign. Um, I had the original idea for it. Sawyer, uh, I gave him the bare bones and he ran with it. Back in like 2019, like December of 2019, when we originally were talking about this. Yeah. Oh man, those were the early beta beta days. Oh yeah, no, those were that, a that's long alpha time days. ago. That's alpha days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So James, where did you get inspiration for the idea? So I've actually I've actually been working on a D and D campaign since 2017, and I was looking at popular anime, popular um, comic books, popular. Um, manga and popular manhwa that's coming out 
And the big popular thing right right now, stretching back from 2017, are isekais. People taken out of the world and pushed into another world. And I originally thought, how fun would it be if we were all regular people pushed into another world and we had to figure it all out and play kind of like an isekai. But I was like, that's like good episode one fodder. And then the rest of the whole thing is that doesn't really matter because once you learn the world and you're in the world, you might as well just be a person in the world. So I started looking at what what do, what do people really like about D&D? And I was like, everybody loves a good dungeon crawler. Like, look at the popular games. Uh, freaking um, Destiny 2 is really popular. Uh, Dark Souls is really popular. Lots of go down as far as you can into dungeons. So I was like, what if we had a dungeon under an adventurer's guild and we had to fight our way down to discover new levels? And what's kind of funny in my mind is that there are not any of like the D&D podcasts that are big and popular, at least at the moment, and things that I have like scoured to listen to to get ideas and such myself. I haven't come across a like a true Dungeons and Dragons like dungeon crawler yeah. thing that's being produced right now. So this is different than what's going on in an ironic way. Yeah, it's it's different, unique, and I really want to like give us a dungeon that would constantly change. Then I was scrolling through Funimation and I came across uh, an anime called Is It Wrong to Pick Up Girls in a Dungeon? And they have an adventurer guild on top of a dungeon that goes down levels and nobody's been down freaking so many levels. I was like, I still like the idea. <laughs> so I ran with it and uh, I even I even told Sawyer what my plan was for the story because one of the things I've noticed about a lot in D&D is magic runs all and people love a good magic character and... I was like, let's make it even more unique and remove magic from the world. Let's have magic at a limited quality. And how do we, ex- how do you explain spell slots in a fantasy setting? Like, okay, I can cast fireball three times. Why? Oh, Cause that's just all the spell slots I have. And I was like, nah, that just doesn't seem to fit with me. Like what if, what if there was no magic and the only way that you could use magic is a little piece of technology from a post-apocalyptic world and when magic finally left the world apocalypse that's that's it's a magical apocalypse like the world crumbles it was this super technological world that was powered on magic and now the world's slowly rebuilding and they have to use more practical means instead of magic magical technology and so everybody's walking around in buildings that used to have magic neon signs and all this other stuff and now you have magic signs that are powered by steam because <laughs> or glowy mushroom residue yes you went from cyber you went from cyberpunk to steampunk because magic left the world and so i want to throw it back to sawyer like when you heard james's idea like what captivated you in your creative mind uh i honestly loved the mystery of not knowing what would be deeper in these fractures like what would be deeper in this world why did it leave and if you are going down it 
what is causing the world around it to honestly evolve uh, for the better, for the worse, for the weaker, for the stronger. And it opens so many creative ideas of you didn't have to necessarily just get stuck in one kind of setting. Like if you're in like a forest or in like a, a temperate kind of uh, climate or something, uh, each one of these levels could be completely unique and you had complete free roam of whatever you wanted to. Each level could almost be like a mini adventure uh, in a completely different setting. And as a DM, uh, for most of my kind of D&D career, I always found that going through one campaign, you just think of like, oh, this little side story could be a totally different campaign in of itself. Oh, and this too. And and in the end, you get these these little little DM stories that you're like, oh, I might run this campaign and this as a campaign, this as a campaign. And so something like this, when James was talking to you about it, really captivated my, my imagination as to like, maybe there are, each one of these levels could be kind of a, a mini adventure or mini campaign within each one. So you could really kind of stretch your creative muscles in a world like this for as much as you wanted to. Um, on top of, you know, being on the surface and they're having an entire culture of the guild hall and the people who are in it. Why are they in it? Are they in it for greed or for honor or for glory? And, you know, it just it captivated my mind, honestly, so much. And I loved the idea of it. So once he's like, hey, do you want to run it as you want to be the damn of it? I'm like. Give, <laughs> give, I love, I want, I please. And I remember all three of us, honestly, having our round tables and just discussing what we wanted the world to look like. And it was, those were just the most fun times, even like in the early, early days of it. We had so many discussions on what Magitech would look like even. And so on top of just having that idea, but, you know, getting together with friends and making stuff like this, like this is also like the big reason of, playing stuff like this so I don't know the idea of running the world that captivated me with friends who I'd love to record and help and build stuff with is just it was amazing so here I am uh, also on that note like on the uh, when you were talking about like different levels being different things I had a really good idea for a level I just don't know how we fit it in but just just imagine getting off the elevator one day and the doors open to a flash of light and then when everything's focusing back in, you're in like a modern bedroom and you're laying in bed and, and oh my God, you're human. <laughs> and you start freaking out like, what's going on? Why are we human? Where's everybody else? Why am I alone? And you look- So in other words, reverse Isekai? Kind of, kind of. Ooh. Kind of, <laughs> except, Ooh. except when you open up the bedroom window there's it's like the beginning of a zombie apocalypse and you have to find your friends and they get to the elevator there's no real escaping the level the the the, the escape and the accomplishment is to get to the elevator Fair. stop writing that down sawyer <laughs> i'm not writing anything down elliot i know you do a, a bit of dming and game mastering for um other groups and such as a dm what has felt really unique to you about the mechanics of this world or about the setting um, and how that like that demands decision making from players and uh, anything along those lines? Well, I was expecting uh, the loss of magic to have driven people to be extremely protective of their Magitech drives, uh, like straight up 
assassinating people to take their drives from them, no matter what level they might have been. I mean, that could still possibly be coming. We just haven't spent a lot of time in the upside world. Well, yeah, I suppose at this point, I mean, we know that magic tech drives are not necessarily cheap, but it seems like first level and cantrip drives are plentiful. I mean, have we truly gotten to kind of like that point yet where even a first level is a a rarity like are we am i misunderstanding the world in some sense uh no i mean uh, a first level drive they used to literally power their houses with them so put it in this way they they were worth like one credit you know maybe uh an average worker makes like 10 a day but nowadays they are worth like 10 to 15 and so now it's an entire day's work to just afford one of these things so it's gradually over the course of about five years deck tupled in price so they're getting a lot more rare and so people are starting to find different ways specifically by the deodovin to try to sub circumvent this yes so who are the deodovin the deodovin was were a uh, race of kind of half dwarves who were kind of designed for this campaign in the way that they were the ones who kind of introduced this alternative power source to the world. Uh, they are masters of thermodynamic or thermo geothermal energy, and they can bring this technology to practically any place. And so I designed them in a way of they are the antithesis of the Reinhardts. And for the time being, they are seemingly providing energy to the world in which energy previously reliant on magic is now gone uh bringing a kind of an old semblance of life back uh so they're not they're not bad uh they don't really have an origin that's kind of the interesting part about them that you may not have uh may not know is that they people don't honestly know where they came from do the deodovin know where they came from uh it is illegal for them to pass down that information to their descendants. It is illegal. Wait, if it's illegal, then if they can't pass it down to the descendants, does everybody break the law? Like, hey, just so you know, we're from here. But if you tell anybody, daddy gets his head chopped off. Nope, nobody remembers anymore. The Deodovin are a very strict society. And once it was deemed after the first persons came here, they have henceforth completely forgotten. Oof. For reasons, no one knows. So is their whole race in Hopal now, or and do they still have De- do they still have Deodovan in their homeland? Uh, their homeland, they don't know. Uh, they know most of them operate out of Hopal. Uh, some of them have come out to the separate like uh, countries around, like Morin, the northern and southern Sandlands. Uh, they kind of go in the more like uh, populated places where they can kind of uh, pass off their energy wares. Um, but mostly, mostly they are in Hopal, where they have found a very kind of uh, distinct niche in this society. So I guess I'm taking the driver's seat on these questions. So you know, sure. Sawyer, you can, you can dislodge me from my seat if you want. But I guess I, I'm going to throw to Elliot again here for a second. What do you imagine uh, an average house looks like in uh, in Hopal? Like interior like is somebody flipping on a light switch or like what what do you think a home looks like functionally etc uh functionally i think because with this strong emphasis on resorting back to steam power that there are a lot of uh brass valves uh pressure gauges 
and not so much light switches as, once again, we are going into steam power, so it's more valve work than anything else. It's plungers. It's, uh, what are those wheels called? Gears. No, not gears. You see them a lot in Resident Evil. Are they just valve levers? Yeah, are you talking about the valve, uh, the valve, um... Valve wheels? Yeah. Yeah, like... I like valve wheel. I think those would be a lot more common than, like, than anything like a light switch. Just like a small handheld one. Just pew, 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 pew. Yeah. And then like... So I imagine those uh, dot the interior of like fancier homes. They're called steam valve wheels. Hey. Ta-da. Very uninspired. Very uninspired. <laughs> they were invented by an engineer. They didn't need to be inspired. <laughs> So what do people use steam power for in their homes? Well, the commodities. They'd use them for hot running showers. They would use steam power for literally everything. Like people, people's like to heat their homes. They run steam through their walls, literally. So how, but how does they, I want to know how a steam stove works. Uh, It's (laughs) as it, as it runs up, it flattens where you have the brass pipe kind of come up and then they have flattened it and then it pipes back down so you have a constant run of hot steam going through the pipe and you just cook on top of it is what I'd guess. I was going to say it it comes up into a small flat coil and coils around then back down and you just put your skillet on top of there. There you go. Like, like Kind of like an electric stove's coil but it's filled with hot steam. And the oven is just a byproduct of a really hot box in the corner that ha- just so happens to have a door. Yep. Yeah. Ooh, there you go. Yeah. Can can the oven then work as like a, a backup steam production facility if uh, you know the if a pipe like the main steam pipe bursts out in the in the Ooh. road? Oh no! <laughs> yeah. if, if 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 it bursts over there, you just bust down the whole house. You don't even come back. <laughs> it's nope. It's done. Like that's just gonna meld everything together. And congratulations, your home is now a bomb. <laughs> okay. I'm just I'm just saying the way the way I imagine it is imagine New York City, but all the homes have giant steam pipes coming up from the up from the ground and like plugged into the side of the building and steam pipes are going through the whole building and everything and the pipes are kind of like a spider web slash uh, I don't know like a virus taking over the city because they have they had to they had to struggle like this was this was very put together very fast because when the power went down people were dying from the cold the too much heat like every every weather event killed people, and they needed to find ways to protect, to heat the homes, cool the homes. And to be fair, Humbal desperately needs some protection from the elements. All the rain and ever rain is is slowly chafing his hide. Well, all the steam doesn't help because his mane just poofs out. He's got to get that like. He's got to get a straightener to straighten it all out to go flat. Actually, that is an interesting point. Huval, do you straighten your mane or <laughs> do you just let it all poof out? Like, what is Humval's hairstyle? Since coming to Hopal, Humval has had to change his hairstyle and has resorted to just having everything in braids. 
<laughs> I love that. I love that. Do I need to update your miniature to have dreadlocks mains? <laughs> you may make the attempt. Okay, so Sawyer, out of all the characters yet, what is one of our decisions that has like wait what you did you just did what? <laughs> Anything, Gascar. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, man. There has been multiple occasions where Humval has looked at Gascar and has looked at Cruz and been like if I stab them right now, I can requisition better party members and I can have a much easier time here. You got to remember, Cruz is an old man. Cruz is like, he's already served, he's already grown up, served an entire uh, 20 years in the military. He's he's now he's now been out for 10 years. He's running his own shop, which we're going to bring up when we're back on the surface. Um, well, at least I'm going to bring it up when we get back on the surface. And, uh, like he he's already an established old man, so he may be not the smartest when it comes to people interaction, but he's he's got his stuff. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. There's some there's an admittance of deep truth here. Oh, there <laughs> is. That statement hangs high. Yeah. You gotta understand, Cruz Cruz spent his time beating on metal and when other people were interacting. Like Cruz has one friend his entire life. I don't know. I, 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 Sawyer has, Sawyer has seen my story evolve from where it, it was to where it is. Like three times over. <laughs> yeah, evolve or bounce off the walls like, you know, one of those super balls oh. that we used to play with as children. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, seriously, sorry. What, yeah. What's something that it, like one of us has done at, in character that is like, Oh my gosh, I have to rewrite my notes. What have you done? <laughs> okay, so there are two there are two instances of this. One was in the extra the extra episode we recorded. Ah, uh, and that was the first time when Chris, you were the uh, previous fracture watchman. Uh, and I was describing the humanoid uh, beaten and bloodied coming up out of the fracture like he had just crawled like climbed up a hundred mile cliff and you immediately just boot kick him back into it <laughs> that was me like wait my NPC what is oh. <laughs> oh. oh yeah no that that tore a whole page out of my notebook and just crumpled throw away okay well never mind then uh, which so again is it is it okay for you to like to pull back the veil some on that episode now that it's released and out there into the wild? Uh, yeah, I mean, for this particular instance, if you had the whole plan was he was going to try to get up there. You were going to be all like, whoa, why is there a guy up here? How did you get here? What's your name? And he was going to start telling you this cool like story while he was just kind of like backing up quietly towards your door, like looking over at the fracture. And you were supposed to be very enthralled with how this human suddenly got to the top. What is he looking at? Oh, my gosh, monsters. And the guy makes a break for the door. Uh, and then you pushed him back down towards them, which had an effect on the amount of HP he had as he <laughs> crawled back out a second time as they they had several swipes at him <laughs> in the pit. So, uh, yes, no, that was a uh, everyone was doomed in this story from the get go. Right. Mm -hmm. How did that affect? Like, is that the reason why my character was and Cruz's character or uh, James's character was locked in 
uh, the fracture and like he he didn't like you you guys need to get out uh well it, to be honest he was a very selfish character he was someone who was all in it for himself and so the reason he was going to be making his way to the door he was kind of going to try to st- like talk you up and like oh yeah no i just got out of there as he makes a break for the door uh, so in other words so he n- totally deserves to totally kick back into the fracture <laughs> I'm not saying he didn't deserve it. I'm just saying it made me rewrite my notes real quick because that wasn't the first thing I thought was going to happen to the poor man. But uh, no. And then after after he made his uh, strange escape back to the to the top of it and made his way out, he locked the door. Not not out of spite, mind you. He didn't lock the door because he wanted to hate you guys and be like, wow, that guy kicked me in the face. He's really uh, bad and needs to die. No, he locked it because he was scared of the things coming out. You just happened to be on the wrong side of the door when he locked it. Uh, but the the one other the one other instance, which is just like right there with with notes, uh, was when uh, Camden put the cursed dice back in the box, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh no, those. Okay, so yeah, can you can you peel back the curtain on that a little bit too? Of like how how does it, 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 like Castiel's box work a little bit, or is that like a no-no zone right now you know i i think by this point the box has come up several times and i feel like it might be a little bit more interesting for the audience kind of know how it works uh but to keep it always random and always interesting i have the players on the first time they put an object in because it gets worse every time they do it within a day they'll roll 1d6 and i'll roll 1d6 whichever one of us or if we roll the same like um, even or odd, so like a one and a three or a two and a four, perfect. That means it's going to be a good result. Uh, if we roll opposing, even and odd, uh, it's a bad result. Now, with this in mind, every time they put an extra object in the box throughout the day, I roll another d6. It has to match all of them. So if you guys put three objects in, I have to roll three evens, and you have to roll an even in order for it to be a good object. Now, this is also bad because every time you guys put another object in, the percentile you roll determines what severity the effect is. And you roll another set for them every time you put an additional object in. And so not only are you having a smaller chance of success, you're having a much larger chance of creating something very, very dangerous. Uh, Hence the reason when he put the dice in, which were a bad result, for a 91, I believe it was, which was one of the highest rolls you guys ever had. And he put it in there, <laughs> rolls it again. I roll a 96. And it re- like it's the worst possible result possible can be made on these dice. And whatever object is placed into it, I pull from a uh, random table of just stuff found in like a, a troll cavern or something. And I kind of mesh the two objects together as fast as I can. Uh, I pulled a bat wing on the dice so it was like what's a bat well, wing what's a bat wing yeah no it's just it's just a bat wing it's literally oh, just okay. a list of things that you find like oh you find 1d4 bat wings uh but yes no we uh i pulled bat wing and so suddenly well the dice turned into uh wings they had wings and obviously if they have wings they're gonna attack somebody which you know what they're rings now because they can attach to people now because that was a high enough bad roll on the second time so I hope you guys also have learned from that and knowing that the uh, the stakes are a little bit more raised every time you do that in a day. Nope. 
<laughs> haven't learned a thing. <laughs> My gosh. But it makes for such good audio drama. I don't like stuffing <laughs> Gascar's gun inside the box and not telling him. Ooh. Ooh. Oh. Ga- Gascar would. Um, cow drops? He would, uh, he, he would begin to think of something uh, uh, that you could do with a teleportation device and your innards. <laughs> <laughs> Now, now the biggest question though is, would it be a good or a bad thing? Because you know, you just pick it up and suddenly it's like adamantine, and you're like, <gasps> it's amazing. At the same time, he would be going, "This is no, this is really cool." Wait, but what the? What the heck? <laughs> this is my this is my gun. This is my bullet shooting thing. And ah, I, I does it even work anymore? And tinker, 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 tinker. Ah. Uh, yes. With, uh... So I, I did just get a comment on TikTok because I put out a video about our newest episode out and somebody says, when are the Gascar plushies coming? Oh, jeez. Yes. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Heck yeah. <laughs> little little gun strap to your back. Your cute, cute little thing I, on saying, your flank throw on your shoulder. I, I, I guess, I guess we need to call Build a Bear. <laughs> oh gosh, I, I, I deeply appreciate this. I feel totally validated in my in all of my life decisions. All of my li- life had led me to this one decision, and I am proud of it. So I got, I got a question for you guys. What has been your favorite moment in this campaign so far? Uh, I think my favorite moment was when my blacksmithing shop got destroyed. Well, a big oh, when you one. got attacked. <laughs> yes, I, I really, really liked that moment because it was it was a solid, it was a solid rush to arms, team building, attack in the night, um, and it and it gave a little more depth to our characters, and I got knifed twice oh yes the best team building exercises sudden sudden threat of death everyone save him i don't know about you elliot but i think my favorite moment thus far has been you and i at the bar robbing, oh yeah robbing, robbing cruise, 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 cruise line robbing cruise <laughs> oh you guys are, it's always pick on cruise <laughs> no but that was amazing keeping in that same uh, theme of things though when parker and gascar proceeded to uh talk down to Cruz and just browbeat him for his terrible shop location. Well, that was that was pretty good. Wait, what was that again? Why did you not leave the city you faked your death from? Oh, yeah. Cruz. <laughs> yeah, that was that conversation. Well, the in, in Cruz's defense, the Reinhardts never leave their district. And if it is, it's always in golden chariots with they're they're the richest family in the nation next to the emperor so they don't they don't come to where the normal people go uh no they don't which is why you weren't stabbed by a a reinhardt were you you were uh stabbed by something else true yeah exactly so just because they can't leave their or choose not to leave their little uh reinhardt district uh doesn't mean apparently they can't have reach outside of it (laughs) true too but still uh still a risk worth taking especially if you know they're not going to look for you if you're if you're reported dead 
So what is uh, y'all's favorite NPC thus far? <gasps> oh, heck yeah. Well, go for it, Sawyer. Oh. Oh, goodness gracious. Uh, to be 100% honest, just because I've had so much so much good memories with uh, with her is Merdina. Oh, yeah. Merdina is lo- the best. <laughs> I love Merdina. Uh, when I was originally kind of design, designing her and, and Aji as kind of a... A, a duo in our previous rendition with another uh, podcaster whom we just weren't able to to make schedules work with. Uh, she came into such a huge kind of role, and I loved I loved Merdina. Completely oblivious to most of the world of anything, but completely like warm hearted and honestly wanting to just make friends. Where everyone else is very like surprised that anyone would even consider trying to make a friend. She is a solidly good character. Yeah, I've I've co- absolutely come to love Martina as well. Like, I I, I I'm telling you right now, Sawyer, you need to write this down. But I need I need more interactions with Martina. Like, perfect. Yes, especially the fact that I used the flower that she gave to me as a token of friendship. Like mm-hmm. that need I feel like that's something that needs resolving. Uh. If, if I can chime in on the whole favorite NPC. Yes. Uh, my favorite NPC would have to be the bronzeman that proceeded to stab the crap out of Cruz. <laughs> damn it! <laughs> He's my favorite. Oh my gosh. Stop picking on Cruz. Uh, and for what, like, was there anything that went through Humbal's head as that happened again? Um, besides why isn't Cruz actually dead? <laughs> Largely that. I'm like, <laughs> because at that moment, uh, Huval was very unhappy with you. <laughs> In fact, he was, he was very unhappy with most of the party. Invite you to my house to stay. And this is how you treat me. Yes, causing a night raid by assassins. It's, and then... Hey, I didn't cause that. I was in bed. That was their own thing. Cruz... There are many reasons why you caused that. You can't many, you can't prove it. You many can't prove reasons. It. You can't prove it. Yeah. So, is there been any decisions that um, we have made that have r- had like dire consequences in the world thus far? To the world, um, <laughs> Sawyer. To the world. I mean, at least to the world to our influence. I can I can literally call out one of mine. Hmm. Uh, I believe they were the free merchants, Sawyer. Oh, when you were making your way in your backstory. Yep. Yeah. They're big players, and I pissed them off. <laughs> I mean, you avoided the frack out of them, which I've, did I've, tick them off. I both avoided the frack out of them, and I killed their mole. Oh yeah, you did that. Yeah, no, I remember him now. Uh, yeah, no, that's that's fair. Uh. Oh, that's right. I for, kind of forgot about that from your backstory. So is Humval like legit a bit terrified of Ludicius? Of Ludicius? No. Because he's with the free merchants, isn't he? He used the free merchants to get through the Sandlands. Uh, he has no necessarily affiliation with them to your guys' knowledge. It was just like a... You just you pick a side. They're all not necessarily the best people, but you got to pick one of them to get across the border without getting killed. So he just happened to pick the the opposite of uh, the half moon sellswords. 
which was uh, Elliot's group. So yeah, like, can you shed a? I feel like Humval is the character that I know the least about, but I definitely think that that's because, of, like, your character choice, like that that is Humval. Like, he doesn't want to be known. No. Well, no, Humval wants to be known, but he wants to be known for all of the wrong reasons that pertain to his job. Okay, so enlighten us a little more then. So, you've seen how I behave as Humval, and you've seen how I've rolled and how generally I'm a very terrible liar. Yes. I'm going to answer your question with a question. What do you do? What do you guys think Humval is there to do? And see, I honestly have no idea. I Cruz just figures he's there to make money. He's there to complete missions, polish his skills, and make money. Maybe meet some new friends because Cruz is he's he's his whole original goal was to go down and get cheap materials for making money in his shop. Like, see, yeah, I have like I legitimately don't know. I've been I've been trying to figure out Humval this whole time and. I don't know, maybe if I am being oblivious, if I'm pulling a cruise here or something, but like, <laughs> <laughs> I seriously don't know what Humval's deal is. Uh, all I get from Humval is that he's arrogant and selfish, but I don't know to what end. Like, what is the motivation for it? Like, usually when you say somebody is selfish, like you can be like, Oh, they're being selfish so that they acquire this. I don't get it with Humval. <laughs> uh, I'm five alternate universes ahead of you. <laughs> I love everything about this. I do have a question for uh, Mr. Gascar. Uh, yes? What do you think happened to your dear friend? Oh, goodness. Uh, at this point, I I think he is. I think he learned something. I think he truly he came across some sort of bit of information, uh, specifically about the day of Dovin and like what they're doing. Because why would the Bronzemen come after him? Otherwise, like he he knows something that either they need to know or he learned something about them that puts that could potentially thwart their plans. And so thus he was seeking protection from being in the guild hall, but that obviously didn't pan out very well. Now, I don't think Gaskar has that kind of foresight at the moment. Like Gaskar is totally in the moment. He wants to know where his friend is, but he's totally captivated by what's going on around him. Um, Especially with like what just happened with the goddess Valia and everything like, that has wrecked what understanding of the world he has and about how the mechanics of the world truly work. And so he he's like obsessed with that. But at the same time, he does want to find his friend. But he just keeps getting like, you know, bounced around like, uh, you know, a silly little mongoose from one major life shattering revelation to the next. And he's got his own questions about his own nature and why the heck is he a mongoose and who the heck was he and all these sort of things. And, you know, those are more pressing questions in his mind. And, uh, you know, to be fair, like as much as his friend is as important to him, uh, his friend is not all that important. And if there is something that might bring about either 
A, an advantage for Gaskar in general, or B, knowledge to his origin, that far more motivates his actions. Well, that that makes sense. That makes sense. But what happened okay. to him? Tell me. Oh, yeah. No, you want to know? Yeah, That's tell too me. Bad. You're going to have to find that out. No, no, no. Tell me right now. Uh, yeah. Don't don't be like that. Uh-huh. Don't, 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 don't do this. I mean, I can, I can, I can tell you, I, you can ask one question about him and I will tell you the answer. Ooh. Ooh. One question. Oh goodness. Guys, guys, help me out. Brainstorm with me here. What, what did Bartholomew juggler learn a threatening secret about the Deodovan? Yes. Oh, I was right in my theory. <laughs> so I saw that face. <laughs> what about it? <laughs> Look of a uh, yes, you got it right. Yeah. 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 No, he he learned something he probably shouldn't have. I feel like that was probably obvious. <laughs> not necessarily. Uh, not especially if the bronze men came after him. Could have done other things. He was a thief. He was a masterful thief. So he could have very well have just stolen something very large, but no, it was something he learned. Mm. You know what? I'm going to give that to the the other two of you as well. One question. What do you got? Pertaining to your characters. Oh, this is so good. Mm. Do I get my shot back? That is the most cruise (laughs) answer I have ever heard in my life. You know what? You never lost it, bud. Good question. There's your answer. <laughs> no, it's 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 broken. Do I do I get it back fixed? Like, is Dexter working on it now while I'm down in the fracture? I gave him a lot of money. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna give you this one. Dexter is at the moment not working on the window in your shop. Uh, you told him not to. You dingus! <laughs> it was your orders that said, "Hey, don't go back. Go hang <laughs> with true. a friend." True. Oh wow! Why is he? I gave him another window? mission to do. <laughs> you told him not to. And- oh, see, I wish, I wish Riggs was here to ask you <laughs> this question because there is so much I want to know about his backstory. But ah, I might, as I'm like listening to this, pen down a bunch of questions and have him just answer. And yes, it, this is where um, your friendly audio answer inserts. Uh, a, a a post credits scene of uh, of Riggs answering this question or asking this question and getting an answer rather. Insert and and insert. So Sawyer, yes, you've known about my plans for months now. Yes, and with what I want to happen with my recent revelation of the infrastructure of say uh, I don't know uh, Vetch. And that also linked into my past with my plan to have things happen in Hopel. Will that end in a positive result for us and the guild hall? Man, I feel like Elliot has put far more like beyond the table effort into his character's backstory and has like colluded with the DM about things that we have no idea about that haven't even been recorded on the podcast yet. But yeah, I've had I've had this ongoing uh, storyline plan. I would say, in your mind, it will result in a good result. 
Now, if that's for everyone else's, remains to be seen, but for you in particular, it will result in a good thing. Good. <sighs> yeah, that was the most intense, benign answer I have ever given in my life. <laughs> I told good you guys, golly. I'm, I'm five parallel universes ahead playing 5D chess. Who the heck is Humval? Who is this Humval? Is Humval? What is Humval? Can Humval? Do not put me in a can. Cat food. <laughs> you beat me to it. Dang it. Ah, okay. Uh, well. Okay, well, here's here's one. Uh, with the now introduction of Valia into this world, uh, how has this now changed your character's perspective as to what might be going on? Oh, man. Like, Gaskar's world is rocked. Gaskar, like, has approached life almost, like, atheistically. Like, as if the gods, even if they did exist at one point in time, have zero, 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 zero relevance um, in, in the world now. And has lived his life absolutely carefree, practically without moral, almost. So, so much so that, like or so far in that you know he's not doing anything that he views to be atrocious but has no moral standard that he holds himself to externally right you know and now suddenly there is a god and then plus you add on to that his fascination with getting magic to behave in a constructed way, the, however he wants it to, not not just like conforming to what some sort of spell book says or what a magic tech drive can um, accomplish, but you know, truly forming it into the fashion of his use. And now he has access to a literal god, like that. It's got like his creative juices flowing. He's wondering to what ends he can use Valia. Yes, truly use Valia from like a selfish point of view. But at the same time, like he now has to wrestle through. Is there actually a morality in this world, like a standard of morality that exists outside of his own perspective? And um, especially with Cam and Ela being very morally centric characters. It, it is presented like a whole new paradigm for Gaskar to view the world through, which is why he like, like kind of almost begrudgingly and yet eagerly accepted like the role of like continuing on trying to find the orbs of Valia and, and all of that. But he's definitely not in it for the same reasons Cam and uh, Ela, and I'm guessing Relic, <laughs> um, are, are in for it. And I'm also guessing Edward Ludicious. But he's I. Here's my theory. I think Edward Ludicious is like the antithesis of Valia. And maybe closer to what Gaskar wants to do, but in a totally evil way. <laughs> okay. I want to know if the Silver Shade has something to do with the Orbs of Valia. Ooh. Ooh. I want to know why the Silver Shade is popping up. I really want to know what, what the Silver Shade is 
doing and if Val is the only god stuck in orbs multiple orbs does he have other gods could he also have like could he be at the center of the planet in this room with just a whole bookshelves of bookshelves of orbs of gods surrounding him Ooh. controlling all of the magic in the world could he turn gods into weapons that is an interesting theory right there I mean, Cruz is actively developing weapons that store up energy as an alternative to Magitek drives. But they can also take a Magitek drive to give them an elemental boost. So he's trying to make an all-around versatile weapon, and that's what his his blade is. He It's a blade that can store up energy and convert into a larger weapon that disperses that energy. So, James, I have a question for you. What would happen if you were to like insert an orb of Valia in as a magic tech drive into your weapon? <laughs> when I slam the axe into the ground, the cat we fall directly to the center, the bottom of the crown. No, ser- uh, seriously, like not as a joke, but like given what we know about Valia as being a goddess of hope, like does suddenly like when you slam your axe into the ground, does it all give us bardic inspiration? <laughs> does it consecrate the area? Yeah. It does, does it eliminate all evil? Like I, I, I honestly couldn't answer that. But what what the axe what the axe would do when when the when you strike the axe down, it deals kinetic damage to thirty feet around him. So it kind of explodes when it hits the ground. So if I'm going to put in a goddess orb where a magitech drive goes or even replace the kinetic canister with an orb and i slam that down that energy is going to be violently released like okay sawyer yeah can you tell us what would happen ah uh. <laughs> Dude, I'm gonna crack the planet now. Okay, well, first of all, the way that you tried to hook it up, because mind you, Magitek drives insert into the handle of your thing. How are you gonna fit an orb into that? Okay, you just you just have this yeah, big Gascar, this Gascar, weird like. You you better believe Gascar is gonna be attempting to hook things up to the orb. If you were to find a way, Gascar in particular, to hook this up, the effect would. Good golly, that <laughs> would do. Your weapon would not be the same. That's for sure. It would be instantly god tier. It wouldn't be god tier, mind you. I just put a god inside my weapon. Yes, you put a part of a god in your weapon. Okay, mind so you. it's it's demigod tier. It's it's your great grandfather's mother was somehow related to a demigod and here you are kind of thing. Uh <laughs> so you know, you putting it in there honestly, you'd most likely gain a status effect plus damage increase for statistics wise and your weapon would change visibly. I have a feeling it wouldn't give a a, a an attack bonus given who Valia is, I have a feeling that it would cause like, a, like it would feel like you're getting hit instead of with an axe that wants to explode. Instead, you'd be getting hit with um, a pillow that turns into a warm blanket and soothes you to sleep. Mind you though, uh, Valia, goddess of hope, also recognizes that in order for things 
to be done, sometimes wars and fights must be had. Uh, so using it against perhaps creatures in the you would actually that's an interesting point would i just turn my weapon into a holy avenger not necessarily but on the same lines because if you were to say maybe like asgar try to strike a neutral enemy or a neutral or good aligned ally you would take possibly a penalty but if you were to strike an evil aligned perhaps you would gain a bonus something along those lines I don't know. I'd have to actually work out the specs on whatever the heck you guys tried to fix it to, and <laughs> Ooh, that would that would be interesting. That's coming. That's coming. Gascar's gonna make him a fat man. Well, y'all, <laughs> you know, put up junk and launch it. I mean, y'all know where the next one is. So if you guys want to just say, "Hey, my name is Frack You," and all of your your contracts, we got a contract for our own. It's in the fourth level, and we're gonna go get it. I. I still, I still got a mission from the Emperor where I have to find a fire-breathing animal for him, preferably fluffy. So, going back to our original question, uh-huh. I believe Umval stated in either session two or three that he didn't believe the gods were gone, only resting. Indeed. And now the, the knowledge that the god is not gone has had what impact on Umval? If they haven't come back on their own yet, then they're still resting, right? Which means more than just Valia is resting and more than just Valia is capable of coming back, which means that our fractures are possibly significantly more dangerous than we can possibly theorize. <laughs> for for those of you who are not enjoying the video presence of our DM, he is cringing with oodles of joy at the moment. <laughs> ah, I love everything about this. Okay, so what I want to know, Sawyer, is my name is. Yes. I, I get the feeling she's got her own, like, very specific agenda. Yes. But is she aligned with the purposes of the guild hall? Or is she is she just, like, down for whatever uh, promotes what she's after? Uh... For the time being, she's been with the guild for quite some time, a little bit longer than Relic, actually. She was one of the few who actually kind of went through the recruiting process with Relic, whom is like the, the top A-line, been with the guild longest kind of person. But through those years, as you may have also come to find out as her her insistent, uh, or insistent graying of information, she likes to keep a certain amount of control uh, over everything. So even giving you guys your last contract, not telling you who necessarily was for, just an anonymous benefactor as well. She likes control. And in regards to having her own agenda, keeping a little bit of control goes a long way in playing a game of chess with other people who aren't necessarily playing it with you. Okay, now with that, Oh, gosh, I don't even know if you can answer this question, but if she was made aware of an orb of Valia, would that change her priorities? I ask you a counter question. Do you think it has been hidden from her for as many years as he's been around? Oh, probably not. I mean, if uh, my theory is that Relic absolutely knows something about Valia and probably has an orb given 
his interaction with Cam and Hila. I don't know if Gaskar picked up on that. Um, I, I, in fact, I'm pretty sure Gaskar did not because Gaskar was hyped the heck up on coffee, playing rabid mongoose, uh, serving breakfast roll and tinkering with his toy um, that he was building, then paying attention to subtle interactions. If my theory is correct that he has an orb of Valia, then I don't I don't know. Because it depends on what Relic knows my name is far better. And my name is... She seems like shifty as heck. I imagine Relic knows where her allegiance lie more than anybody else does. But I don't know if his allegi- or her allegiances lie with Valia. Or with something else that could be far more troublesome. Especially... If Edward Ludicius was kind of freely interacting with her, but doesn't want us to tell Relic about him. Like, that character interaction has got me incredibly suspicious of her now. I think she's got something to do with the Silver Shade. There was one thing that, as Edward Ludicius was talking to you all, that... Uh, in order to become a sponsor, you need majority rules. Uh, he did not invite Relic out, though he was fully aware that he was in fact a reigning guild member. To answer slightly your thought, uh, you mentioned that Relic knows my name is better than anyone else, most likely. But does he trust her? Is the question. Yeah, I don't. I don't get so. I don't get a sense of warmth between them. From your interactions, he hasn't left the guild hall very much, and it's kind of a, a baton pass between him and her and via you guys. So it's not it's not very personable, no. But here he is nonetheless. You think after so many years, he might have had a reason to leave. He obviously had to have had opportunities. Other guilds would have sought out his experience, but he's still here. Also, this is the guild hall of no one. Yeah, that's what that is actually an interesting thing. I hadn't really kind of, kind of considered that. Uh, I think I'm picking up what you're putting down, but can you elaborate some? If this is the guild hall of no one, then obviously they have a doctrine that they follow that is more than likely dictated towards that long lost deity. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I do not believe that my name is or anyone that associates with her is strongly associated with Valia because a god of secrets does not spread hope. That might do something to explain their such vivid disconnect. Mm. We have now we have now started hitting on things that have an air of truth to them and I feel like we have gone past the threshold of spoiler and into full-blown conspiracy theories. I don't know if we've, I don't know if we've spoiled much. I think we've just kind of added onto the understanding. No, no, no. I think we're on full blown conspiracy theory mode. Let's put on our tinfoil hats, folks. Oh yeah, it's getting freaky. No, I'm bald. That's itchy. <laughs> well, I think we're probably at a good spot to start wrapping things up. Um, but this has been fun. I look forward to doing this again. 
I really do too. This has been I, this has been a really good time. This has been awesome. Yeah. I mean, is there is there anything you want to kind of spoil about what's coming up? Oh gosh. Well, it's actually what's going down. It's, yeah. And it's us. Boom. The sound of Gascar and Cruz falling down a flight of stairs. Boom! <laughs> <laughs> we'll at the top with a bag of marbles. <laughs> okay. Go into full-blown narrator. This is how we'll end the episode. Full-blown narrator. Okay. Insert dramatic music here. Once you guys enter the world of Adronis once again, donning the visages of your characters, you will find yourselves eventually returning to the fractures. But what you will be leaving will never be the same.